notes this morning, it's because I'm trying a new case on my newly purchased iPad. So please forgive me, it's driving me insane. Uh, yeah, so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, one of the parables of Jesus. It's called the parable of the sower. Um, some people refer to it as the parable of uh, the four soils because the emphasis seems to be on the soils rather than um, the one who's planting the seed. Um, now, for some of us, you know, this might be new language. Uh, is, am I still on? I'll just keep going. For some of this, us, this might be new language. We're not talking about a sower like someone with a sewing machine. We're talking about someone who plants seeds. So someone who's a farmer. It's that kind of language we're looking at. Now, the teaching's found in three of the four Gospels. It's found in the Synoptic Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not found in John. Um, and we're going to be following along in primarily Luke's account, which is found in Luke chapter 8. So I'm just going to read the passage to you. Um, now, it's important that we pay attention to what Jesus is teaching. Um, I had an interesting conversation uh, with a gentleman in the sauna at the gym again, <laughs> the place where the gospel gets shared. Um, and uh, it turns out he was from a Roman Catholic background. I found that out because um, he, he dropped the fact that his mother was in pastoral care. Um, and I dropped the fact that, oh, I'm actually a youth pastor. So that was how the conversation started rolling. Uh, but uh, he said, oh, because I asked him, what sort of, you know, what, what beliefs do you and your family hold? Like, uh, would, do, you, do you follow the religion of your parents? And he said, oh, I guess so. And, um, he's like, but you wouldn't call them fundamentalists uh, in any way. I'm like, okay, what, what do you mean by that? He's like, oh, well, they don't really, like, take the Bible literally. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and I said, well, I sort of work backwards um, when I look at the Bible. He's like, oh, yeah. I said, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was physically, bodily raised from the dead. And prior to that, he performed many miracles. And so for me, the reason why I believe the Bible is the Word of God is because Jesus believed the Bible was the Word of God. And so when we come to this, we're not just coming to a book for some weird instruction. We're coming to hear from Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who has all authority, the one who healed sick bodies and walked on water. That Jesus is teaching us something very important. And he says, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention. That's, that's what he's saying. So... Luke chapter 8, verse 4 to 15. I'll read it to you now. When a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to Jesus from every city, he spoke by parable and said, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed his seed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell at the ro on the rocks, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, 
And these have no root, who believe only for a while, and in time of temptation they fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So, according to Jesus' explanation to the disciples, the seed that's being sown is the word of God, or in Matthew's account, it's called the word of the kingdom. And I think the reason Matthew uses this kingdom language is because the word of God is really defined by the fact that when we spread the word of God, it advances the kingdom of God. It renews people's minds, it delivers people from darkness and sets them free from errors, it sets them free from their sin. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, to begin with, we really need to ask ourselves, who is this farmer in the story? Who's the sower? In all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account, Jesus doesn't tell us the sower's identity in his explanation of the parable. But we do see that he's a farmer, and we see that he's identified as one who is spreading God's word. Now, we know that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, was sharing the word of God with all the people. So, for example, Jesus said, The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And in another place, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, some some commentators conclude that it must be Jesus who's the sower, because uh, in another parable, uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares, uh, the one who sowed the seed in that parable is referred to as the Son of Man, which is a prophetic title of Jesus. So it's true that Jesus is uh, one of the sowers in this story. However... The reason why I believe Jesus doesn't identify the seller in this story is because um, he intentionally left the person anonymous because you and I are part of the story. You and I as believers are sowers in God's field. You see, we share in the mission of Jesus Christ. We share in spreading the good news. It's It's not just me on the stage. It's us in our workplaces. It's us in our families. You know, I have a friend um, and she really looked down upon the fact that she was only a mother. She didn't have a career or anything like that. She was just raising three kids. And I had to explain to her, that is a wonderful ministry. You are raising three kids in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You are a sower in God's field, spreading the word of God. Now, after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to the disciples and he gave what's called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is with his church, sowing the seed of his word in the harvest, the field, which is the world. Um, In Corinthians, Paul also uses farming language. Uh, when he was speaking to the believers in Corinth in the book of Corinthians. He also mentions the ministry of Apollos, who was another preacher of God's word. We know that Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. 
Now, we all know that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if we want to build people up in their faith, or if we want to lead them to Christ, we need to be spreading the word of God. We need to get back to this basic truth that the word of God is what brings life in the ears of the hearers and in their hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul said, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, I, I listen to a lot of preachers. I listen to a lot of online things, and um, I sometimes go to conferences as well. And often I get the impression when I leave these conferences, or I, I end the podcast, and I think, man, that speaker was primarily speaking about himself. He was speaking about his... He, you know, he was telling lots of jokes. He was, he was focused on so many other things, but what we really needed was the Word of God. The Word of God is what nourishes people. It is our bread. It is the bread that we need, the spiritual bread to fill our bellies. You see, I, I hope this isn't just an event for us this morning. I hope we're coming to hear the Word of God. And in this case, it's the words of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And whoever receives Jesus receives the Father who sent him. Now, what is the goal and motivation of a crop farmer? You know, does he throw seed around carelessly? Does he, does he waste the seed that he's scattering? That'd be a pretty foolish farmer. Like, for them, it was their livelihood. You don't just go throwing seed on, on stones for any reason. So, they don't like wasting seeds. They want to maximize their harvest. And they work hard to secure good results. Um... In Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 2, uh, Jesus, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. Uh, Jesus said that um, we ought to be praying to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into his field. And uh, in Timothy, it says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we as fellow laborers in God's field, we're sharing God's heart. God desires that you be saved. He doesn't desire that you should perish. And, uh, you know, some people that are listening to this sermon online, perhaps, or some of the people that are here, um, you might feel like you're past saving, or that God has cursed you, or that God might just only want to harm you. But that's not what the Word of God says. You see, we've been sent into the field by a God who says that he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you're in the sound, if you can hear the sound of my voice and you can hear the word of God, the Lord Jesus wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, some of you might object to the fact that God wants to save people on the basis of the fact that they've looked at this passage and they're confused in the section where Jesus talks about parables. Because it seems to be that Jesus speaks in parables because he was hiding the truth rather than revealing it to the people. So we need to think through these parables and what it means. Now, most people, if you ask them what a parable was, they would simply look at it as an illustration, you know, a teaching tool. Um, We use an example. So Jesus used an example of farming because farming was very familiar to the people. But, you know, I might use an example from Woolworths you know, going to collect my groceries because that's familiar to us or more familiar to us than farming. But it seems that Jesus used parables in a way that actually hid the truth from the majority of the people listening to him, which seems sort of counter what what I've just been saying. Um, So he said to his disciples, to you it has been given to to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables. In other words, you're going to hear the message, but you're not going to understand it. Now, 
let's just imagine for a moment that Jesus had not explained to us what this parable meant. Let's imagine that this was the first teaching we ever heard from the lips of the Lord Jesus. And so we didn't know that the seed was the word of God. So how, how do you think you might interpret this story? Um, maybe you would look at the parable as something to do with money because obviously they had their livelihood in farming. So maybe uh, the seed represents money. And so maybe Jesus was saying that you actually need to diversify your portfolio. You need to have your, your assets spread over four asset classes in case you know, three of them don't work out very well. That fourth one can give you an abundance of increase. So that could be how some people went away from the story. You know, um, maybe it's actually a parable about just addressing good farming habits. Maybe Jesus was um, wanting to help people out because, you know, being the creator and all, maybe he noticed they were really bad at farming. They were casting seed on rocks and casting seed on the footpath, and so maybe he was giving a lesson in, lesson in farming. Or a further possibility is that Jesus perhaps was talking about culling the bird population. You know, we've got too many of these, these pigeons eating these, eating these seeds on the side of the road, and we need to get rid of them. But um, all jokes aside, Jesus gave the interpretation to his disciples in private. And without that explanation, we'd probably be wondering and coming up with conclusions ourselves as well. So he gave them the key to unlock the parable, and that was that the seed is the word of God. Now, why is it that Jesus seems to hide truth in parables rather than making it openly accessible to everyone who came to see him? I don't know if you've thought about it, but the answer is really quite simple. You see, the crowds, they came to Jesus for an event, but the disciples came to Jesus himself. You see, the reason the disciples received the interpretation is because they asked him, they came to him, they sought Jesus. Lord Jesus, we want to understand what this parable means. The rest of them were coming because they heard, maybe heard about the miracles. Um, you know, in, in one case, uh, Jesus rebuked the people that were following him. Uh, he said, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves of bread and were filled. And he's speaking about the miracle of when he multiplied bread. And he said, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on, the, on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So Jesus rebuked the crowds on another occasion for coming to him because they wanted food, they wanted the spectacular. They wanted to see some sign or some miracle, but the disciples were following Jesus because they had come to believe that he was the Son of God. So I'm going to question your motives this morning. If you're coming to Jesus, why are you coming to Jesus? Are you coming because he is the source of life? Are you coming to know him, to know God? Or are you coming for something else, some other reason? You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Uh, one commentary I was reading on parables, on this particular parable, said that the parable was like a doorway. Jesus' listeners stood at the doorway and heard him. If they were not interested, they stayed on the outside. But if they were interested, they could walk through the doorway and think more about the truth behind the parable and what it meant to their life. You see, everyone in that crowd had an opportunity to come to Jesus and ask for the interpretation, but only the disciples came. And so, in John chapter 5, verse 38, 
Jesus rebuked some of the people who were in the crowd, and he said to them, you don't have God's word abiding in you, because the person whom he sent, him, you don't believe. You see, you search the scriptures, because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me, that you might have life. You see, the only people who went away empty-handed that day were those who refused to come to Jesus. So no one, in the sound of my voice again, no one listening to this sermon has to go away empty-handed this morning if you're willing to come to Jesus. John 8 verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. All right, well, let's start looking at the soils. Soil number one. The first soil is called the wayside or the walkway. So Jesus began his parable by saying, As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. See, the, the wayside was the walking path around the farm. You know, it was um, the part that was walked on most frequently, and so it was very difficult for plants to grow on that section of land. Um, also, the seeds that fell there weren't able to really germinate well because they couldn't actually penetrate the soil because the soil's surface was too hard from being trampled. Uh, and the seed that was scattered there, that was the easiest spot for the birds to eat the seeds. You know, birds can't find seeds quite as easy in tall grass. So they're just plucking it off the surface. Uh, Jesus, when he gives the interpretation, says, Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So Satan is, con is compared to the birds of the air who devour the seed before it gets an opportunity to take root and produce a crop. Now, why does Satan seek to take the word of God out of people's hearts? Quite simply, it's because he knows that if they hear the word of God and receive it, like the passage says, they'll be saved. Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So he snatches the, the word of God from people's hearts and, and tries to take their, their, their thoughts away from thinking about eternal things. You see, he do, Satan doesn't want you thinking about your creator this morning. He doesn't want you thinking about your accountability to the God who made the world. He doesn't want you considering the claim of the resurrection and the fact that there's one man and only one man in history who has ever proven that he has power over death. Satan doesn't want you thinking about this thing, so he seeks to snatch the word and he keeps people blind so that they continue chasing vain pursuits. Paul gives us some insight in this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, I have a friend at work who I frequently share the gospel with because he sits next to me um, in the office. And uh, did someone just say poor guy? Thank you. Um, he, he reminds me so much of this first soil. You see, he, he won't allow the word of God to penetrate his heart, even though I constantly try to share with him the good news about Jesus. So he said to me the other day at work, he's like, if God's real, why doesn't he just come down and show himself? And I was like, this is gift wrapped. I'm like, he did come down and show himself. The Lord Jesus came to earth and performed mighty signs and wonders and was raised from the dead to reveal God to you. And he went, he didn't even give it one second of thought. He ran straight to his next argument. And I just thought, man, 
you know, he's not allowing the seed to penetrate his hard heart because he's so wanting to hold on to his unbelief and his hardness of heart. He willingly has hardened his heart towards God. And the scripture says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you keep hardening your heart to God and his word, you won't be saved because it's by the grace of God that we're saved through faith. So you need to humble yourself and consider the claims of Christ. Um, yeah, so I mean, some of you might feel like this hardened person. If your heart is hard like this this morning, the scripture actually gives you good answers of what you can do if you're willing to listen to it, if you're willing to receive it. So the word of God says to break up your fallow ground. Now, fallow ground is ground that hasn't been plowed for a long time. It's ground that's been baked by the sun. Pastor Darren often talks about this. And uh, it can't be penetrated by seeds and it can't be penetrated by moisture. So the scripture says, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. And James puts it this way in James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Or if you need it more simply, repent and believe. We need to apply the word of God. We need to receive the word of God. I had a guy come in the other day to work and um, I don't know, I just name dropped church in the middle of conversation to see if he'd bite. And um, he's like, oh, you go to church to you? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, the guy behind me, because I work with a Christian. I said, the guy behind me goes to church too. He's like, oh wow, you're all Christians. I'm like, no, no, not the guy next to me. Um, <laughs> But he started talking about how he sort of vaguely, you know, knows about Christianity or knows about God, but hasn't done anything about it. And uh, I, so I shared the gospel with him. I said, listen, Jesus died on a cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven, so you could have a relationship with God, so you could be reconciled to him. And he was raised from the dead. And he said to me, honestly, he said to me, um, can I just wait until, like, I die to, to make that decision? Or can I wait till I see him? And I just responded with the scriptures, you know, today is the day of salvation. Or as it says in Hebrews, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. So, um, yeah, I really hope that guy doesn't wait till he's dead. It's appointed once for men to die and then to face the judgment. So we need to get right with God now. And the cool thing is if you get right with God now, you can start that relationship with him that will continue on into eternity. Why wait for the greatest relationship, the most stable relationship, the most loving relationship you could ever have? Why wait until your deathbed to enjoy that, to know why you were made, to know your creator, to know why you were here? I had a, a kid at youth um, a couple of weeks back. He, he asked the question, well, actually, he started by saying, if you can answer this one question, I'll become a Christian. I was like, whoa. <laughs> You don't, get an, you don't get an opportunity like that very often, but I was thinking, man, it must be a pretty full-on question. And this kid's a pretty deep thinker, so I'm like, man, he must have gone on, you know, atheist.com for this one. So um, I'm like, all right. I said, if I can answer this question, you become a Christian. And he's like, okay. He's like, what's the meaning of life? 
and I just, I just, I had to stop, I had to put my hand over my face because I was smiling so big. I'm like, this is the easiest question in the world. The meaning of a life is that you get right with God and that you know him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The whole reason we're going through the life of Jesus at youth, going through the scenes in his life, going through the teachings of Jesus, is because if you know Jesus, you will know God. And that's the meaning of life, knowing God and enjoying him forever. But um, as yet, the kid has not held up his side of the deal. Um, but I think it'd be a good opportunity now to pray for him. I'm not going to mention him by name, but we'll just pray for this kid right now. So Lord, you know who this kid is, and I thank you that he's come along to youth, and I pray that you would reveal yourself to him, that you would open his eyes to see and his ears to hear, and Lord, that he would hold up his side of the deal, and he would come to the Lord Jesus, that he might have life, and life everlasting. Lord, deliver him from the lies of the enemy, deliver him from his blindness, and bring him to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, you know where he's at. I thank you, Lord, that you love him more than we love him. And we pray that you would bring him into your everlasting kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I completely lost where I was going because I stopped looking at my notes. This is what happens. Now, there's another soil we'll look at, the stony ground soil. Soil number two. Jesus said, some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. That's a key to understanding this passage. You see, farmers in this day and age, of, in this day and age, in the first century, they didn't have the equipment we have. They couldn't, you know, do a, I don't know the right word. I'm investing in some mining stocks, but they couldn't look under the soil to see if there was rocks under there. Um, and sometimes when they're scattering seed, there's only like a small base of soil on the surface. And so the seed that fell on that would immediately spring up, but there's, there's stone underneath and they didn't realize there was stone underneath and it prevented the seed from ever getting deeply rooted and ever being able to drink enough water when the sun was up. And so when the sun came up, it would wither and die. Now, they looked promising initially. It looked like you were going to have a good crop, but as soon as the sun came up, it was not a good crop. He explained the story, Jesus explained the story by saying, the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy but they have no root and believe only for a time. And then in time of testing or time of temptation, they fall away. Now, if you've been to church for a long time, you've probably seen new com converts come and go. You know, some of them um, I've witnessed have come out of drug backgrounds. Maybe they were alcoholics. And they seem to have such joy. They seem to have such excitement about the things of God when they first, you know, discovered about Jesus and heard all this good news. But after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, they seem to just disappear. And then I hear, you know, a story that maybe they've gone back into their old life, and it's, it's really sad. But this is the sort of thing that Jesus is warning about. This is the second soil. You see, the Christian life is not about how well you start, but how you continue to walk with God right up until the point that you take your last breath and enter his kingdom. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7 says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So Paul wants us to be rooted in Jesus Christ. He wants our roots to run deep in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I used to be part of um, a really large youth group on the Sunshine Coast. We were the biggest at the time. This was when I was a young, young person. Um, so this was nearly 20 years ago, I think. And uh, yeah, it was an awesome youth group. We had about 400 uh, teenagers that went to that youth group. And you know, we had these amazing games. 
Uh, we one time got a raw chicken and played raw chicken bowling, and we would knock over bowling pins with a, a raw chicken. Games you're not even allowed to play anymore. You know, we had two, um, plat we hired two platforms that we could lift, and uh, we did gladiator style off the top of two platforms suspended from the ceiling. You're not allowed to do anything like that anymore. And you didn't even need to sign your kids in. It was amazing. <laughs> so um, there were times where we were so pumped. You know, the music was pumping. We were mushing. We were like, yeah, we're going to win the world for Jesus. There was a really cool youth pastor, cooler than me. Um, he had cooler clothing, cooler haircut. He was just cool. <laughs> and we would shout at the top of the lungs that we're going to win the world for Jesus. But then when it got to, you know, Monday, we didn't have any clue what we were doing. And we just you know, looked like the world, talked like the world, um, weren't able to share Christ with anyone because we hadn't really been given the Word of God. And what happened over time was I would estimate that 90% of my 400-person strong youth group fell away from the faith. A couple of them started drinking, a couple of them got involved in parties, started sleeping around, and before long, none of them were, were following Christ. And the problem here was that our roots were primarily rooted in our youth group. Our relationship wasn't with the God of the universe. Our relationship was with the youth group itself. And we need to be very careful what we put the roots of our faith into. You know, I've heard some people try to convince me that they're Christians just because they can speak in tongues. Well, I'm sure there's people who can speak in tongues who are in hell right now. Now, I don't want to get into the controversy about that, once saved, always saved. But what I'm saying is if your faith is based on the fact that you can speak in tongues, if that is the grounding of your faith, you've got your faith in the wrong spot. Your roots are shallow. They're not grounded in the right place. We need to be rooted in Christ. And, you know, we see this often too with people who fall away from the church. There might be a pastor um, who gets involved in a scandal or someone in the church gossips about you or something like that and hurts you and people say, oh, I don't go to church anymore because I was hurt by the people there. Well, why did you bail on Christ when things got tough in the church, when someone hurt you in the church? Why did you bail on Christ when a pastor got involved in a scandal? Your roots need to be in a relationship with Jesus so that when the trials and temptations come, you're not scorched by the heat. And we know from the scriptures that we can be always receiving this, this fresh water from God. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. And Jesus, we know in John's Gospel, John chapter 8, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Anyone who comes to Jesus can receive that living water, but you have to come to Jesus. You have to hope on the Lord. Now, our third soil, weedy ground. Luke chapter 8, again. Uh, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Now, I live on acreage, and I have a few fruit trees, and I'm a very, very bad fruit farmer <laughs> because uh, some of my fruit trees were basically not producing fruit, and I couldn't figure out why because I even fertilized them. But 
um, it took my mother-in-law to tell me that there were all these weeds and all this grass growing around the base of them and I hadn't actually mulched around the tree. I just sort of thrown the fertilizer at the base of the tree. And these, these weeds and these, these grass seedlings were, were sucking up all of the energy that I was trying to feed my fruit trees. And so this is the picture Jesus uses. You see, there were people um, being choked by the cares of this life, by the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus even encountered some during his ministry. Uh, in John's Gospel, he came across some Pharisees and he said to them, How can you believe the word of God, you who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? So the thing that was choking the seed in these Pharisees' lives were that they were more interested in their own reputation than they were interested in serving God. And so we need to be careful of that. We need to be careful that we're not serving ourselves, but serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Another example might be the rich young ruler that we know the story all too well about, you know. This man came to Jesus all excited and said, Lord Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And in the end, Jesus asked him to do one thing. He said, sell all you have and give to the poor um, and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And it says that the man went away very sad because he had much wealth. Now, it's not that you have to give away everything to follow Jesus. Jesus was just exposing the hypocrisy of this man's heart. You see, the cares of this world had such a tight grip on him that when it came to prioritizing Jesus or prioritizing his wealth, he chose his wealth because he loved his wealth more than he loved the Lord Jesus. Now, there are many people who want to follow Jesus, but they're not willing to count the cost. I mean, how would you advise a married man who you find flirting with other women in his workplace? You know, I work with 50 guys and I see this sort of thing happening routinely. These married men are flirting with girls in the workplace. And, you know, I don't know about you, but, I mean, I like to step on people's toes, so I just would confront them about it. But um, they, they, would, they, would, they would probably cite that they have a poor relationship with their wife and it's not that big of a deal and blah, blah, blah. Really, all they need to do is make their wife their first priority. They need to cut out these other lovers, these other potential lovers, and they need to have eyes only for her. And in the same way, we need to have eyes for the Lord Jesus and cut out these competing lovers that are trying to steal our affections from Christ. You see, the grass is always greener on the side that we're watering. And you know, some of us are really struggling in our relationship with God because we're trying to serve two masters. You know, we're trying to have... Jesus, and on a Sunday we're singing, Lord Jesus, have all of me, I surrender all, we're singing all this sort of stuff, but then Monday through Saturday, we're divided in our affections, and we're not really giving Jesus the first fruit of our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Um, now, I'll give you an example uh, from my own life. In 2020, I'm kind of ashamed, well I am ashamed to say this, but I've, I've left it behind, but in 2020 we obviously had the rise of coronavirus and I was very, very excited by it, but not in the way you might think. You see, the, sh the share market was crashing and I was looking for an opportunity to get in and make some quick money. And so every time I would open up the news channel in the morning, I'd be like, yes, more people have coronavirus because it meant the share market was tanking and it would give me an opportunity to buy into the share market. And I even had people in the church say to me, like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, did you hear about the, the horrible things that are happening overseas? 
And sometimes I would be stupid enough to say, oh, isn't it a great buying opportunity in the share market? Like to people at church who are really hurting over the people who are hurting overseas. And you see, this is, this is the love of money. This is the love of covetousness. This is what was warned in the scriptures, beware of covetousness. And um, we need to turn all of that stuff around and love God and love people and get right with God if there's, if there's something choking you this morning. So, I mean, for some of us, maybe TV has replaced your prayer time or, you know, perhaps you need to go back tomorrow morning and start again reading the Word of God each morning with your cup of coffee. Perhaps you need to wake up 10 minutes early so you can fit it in. Whatever it's going to take to put Christ first, to make Him King in your life, we need to, we need to make some changes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Soil number four, and the last soil for this morning, the good ground. I'm going to read from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter four. It says, These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word receive it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Jesus never explains what the fruit is in this parable, but what we do know is we know that it comes as a result of hearing and receiving the word of God and allow it and allowing the Word of God to take hold in our lives. Now, you can do a word search um, through most Bible apps, and you can look at the word fruit, and you can see every usage of the word fruit in the New Testament. So I did a bit of a word search. In Philippians, Paul says that um, he speaks of the believers being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. We're also familiar with the passage in Galatians, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that is, God producing in the heart of the believer a Christ-like character. But there's other ways that fruit or lack of fruitfulness is described in in the Bible. See, Paul uses the language of fruitfulness to describe good works, which Christians are doing in the strength that God provides. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul prayed that the believers might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So Paul wanted us to be fruitful in the knowledge of God. Sometimes the Bible talks about our fruitfulness in this life and sometimes it talks about our fruitfulness in the next life. And you know, even in the present day, we use this language of fruitfulness. If someone asks me how my day was at work on a weekday, you know, and if I've had a good day, a productive day at work, I might say, oh, it was a fruitful day. And what I mean is that my day wasn't wasted. I actually accomplished something. Something meaningful happened. And you see, whenever the Word of God is sown on good soil, something meaningful happens. There's a change that takes place. Something that will be lasting. If you allow the Word of God to fall on good soil, there will be fruit that will endure all the way through into eternal life. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Uh, As I was researching this passage, I came across um, some notes on the farming practices of of the place um, where Jesus was preaching. And it, it said that in the first century they would expect a seven to eight fold increase on the amount of seed that was sown. That would be considered a good harvest. 
But in the parable that we're reading this morning, Jesus is saying there's a 30-fold, a 60-fold, a 100-fold increase, which is massive, which is of supernatural proportions. You see, if you abide in Jesus, who is the life, you're going to share in his life and power, and the fruit that you produce will, will go on um, in an abundant way. So I want to... I want to conclude this morning's message by just asking us the question, you know, where are we at with all of this? You know, what's, what soil best represents your heart this morning? And I want us to do a little bit of ministry towards one another, if we can. I, I'd like, um, you don't have to do this, just to be clear, but we, we often get together in groups and have discussions, and some people find it really valuable. But I'd love for us to get together into small groups of, say, um, four or five and just discuss, you know, the four soils and where you feel you fall in relation to those four soils currently. I mean, maybe you feel great. Maybe you feel like you're the good soil and you're growing in the things of God and you're saying, hey, I'm becoming more patient. I'm becoming more kind. The love of God is overflowing in my heart. You know, I'm sharing the good news with my friends. That's wonderful. But maybe you're struggling this morning. You know, there's confronting verses in the Bible, like James chapter 5. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. You know, you can leave this place without ever having a discussion about Christ. You know, we can come to church and we can talk about the footy, we can talk about the weather, we can talk about our kids, and walk out of here without actually having real meaningful Christian fellowship. So this is an opportunity to engage and in fellowship, where we talk about the things of God, where we encourage one another. And what a better place to be than among sowers. You know, you are fellow laborers in God's field. You should be able to sow the seed of the word of God into each other's hearts so that we see a great abundant harvest. What an opportunity. What, a, what an awesome place to have your soil tilled and to have farmers implant the word of God into your heart. So before we break into small groups, um, I'm just going to pray for us. And as I said, if you don't feel comfortable doing the small group thing, that's fine. You can feel free to start having tea and coffee and, and we're not going to judge you, but we'd love to get together and talk about the things of Christ. So Father in heaven, we just thank you that we've had this time to gather this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, I know that your word is living and powerful and I know that the Holy Spirit uses it as the sword of the Spirit. So I pray... Lord, that you would make this real in people's hearts and that you would renew people's minds and renew their affections, that their affections would be turned towards you, that you'd deliver them from the spirit of this age. Lord, that you'd set them free from the power of sin, set them free from a fear of death. Lord, deliver people from anxieties and fill them with your peace. We thank you, Lord, for your fellowship and we thank you that we can come to you, Lord, and receive life. Lord Jesus, you said that all who come to you you're by no means cast away. So thank you that you invite everyone to come. I pray that they would come to you now. Amen. Thanks.